0: We turn, first of all,
1: in Holy Scripture this morning to Matthew chapter 6,
0: where we read the first 15 verses. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye
1: have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And now the petition we consider this morning, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father
0: forgive your trespasses. Now we turn to Matthew 18, where we begin reading at verse 21. Then came Peter to him and
1: said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say, not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, His Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison that he should till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not one his brother their trespasses. Now
0: there's one other text I want to call to your attention. That's in Mark 11. Mark 11, verses 25 and 26,
1: where Jesus says, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive,
0: neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Heidelberg Catechism
1: gives us its exposition of the fifth petition in Lord's Day 51 with question and answer 126, which is the fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbors. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering that the Lord's prayer was given us by Jesus as the model prayer and not one simply to repeat verbatim as one way of praying, we have seen that the significance and weightiness that underlies each petition is very simply expressed in the prayer itself. If we consider the second half of this prayer, the three petitions in which we face our own needs and our complete dependence upon our Heavenly Father, then we see also here the perfection of this prayer even in its brevity. In the last petition, we considered our physical and material needs. That was the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. Because God created us of the earth and therefore earthly, we have been created with physical and material needs. But the fourth petition summarized all our needs with the simple petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Needs, not luxuries, not everything we might desire, but Christ taught us to recognize our dependence upon God for our needs and to seek them from him with his blessing. But from our natural seeking of physical needs, and our hunger is a regular testimony of our dependence upon God, our attention then is drawn to our spiritual needs. Again, it's well to be reminded that even in the seeking of our daily bread, we are acknowledging our, not just our material needs, but our spiritual needs in properly receiving those material things from the hand of God. The Catechism called that to our attention when it explained the fourth petition in terms of seeking God's grace to withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in him. That spiritual need in receiving our daily bread ought also to be evident in the fact that Looking to our Heavenly Father is to be an expression of our thankfulness to Him and requires, therefore, the grace of God that we might have a proper spiritual perspective toward our physical needs. But now in the fifth and sixth petitions, Jesus taught us to bring our spiritual needs to our Heavenly Father. And those spiritual needs are summarized in two the need for forgiveness, and the need for deliverance from temptation and evil. You see, therefore, this prayer is given us for our earthly sojourn. In the midst of our earthly sojourn, in the face of our own struggles with our sinful flesh and the many assaults that we face against our life in God's fellowship, we are taught to look to our Heavenly Father. By faith, we are to look to Him in Jesus Christ and to find in Him everything we need in this spiritual battle. And so this morning we consider the Catechism's exposition of the fifth petition and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We stand before the cry for forgiveness. Notice with me, first of all, the sobering content of that cry. Secondly, the sure necessity. And finally, the approach required. As we stand before this fifth petition that Jesus taught us to pray, we have to come to grips with the sobering reality of this prayer, the sobering content of this prayer. There are those who mistakenly say that because of Christ's atonement, which certainly satisfied God's justice and paid the debt for all those for whom Christ died, this petition is inappropriate for the New Testament Christian. The disciples could pray this before Jesus' death, But this has no place in our lives nor in the lives of the disciples after Jesus satisfied by his atonement on the cross. That's the argument. And they contend that because our sins have been blotted out at Calvary, it's not only unnecessary, but it's an expression of unbelief to pray for forgiveness. All we have to do is believe that our sins are forgiven and thank God for that. But that contention is wrong. It might be a misunderstanding of what is meant by this petition that God forgive us as we forgive our debtors. After all, this petition is not asking God to atone for our sins. This prayer, as the Catechism points out, is offered on the basis of that atonement having already been made. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, and so on. We'll have more to say momentarily about the positive meaning of this petition. If the contention of those who say this petition is no longer applicable to us is not based on a misunderstanding of what this petition means, then it shows a spiritual ignorance of our natural condition and our spiritual natures and the magnitude of the offense that we incur every time we sin before the Holy God. Do you realize the sinfulness of your nature?
0: Do you realize that every offense against God is as great as God is? Every
1: offense is as great in measure as the difference between us and God. Every sin that arises from every sinful thought, as well as word and deed, that knowledge is going to press from your soul, rising from true faith, this petition. Not to cry out for forgiveness is to betray an attitude of intolerable pride and an ignorance of the holiness of God. You notice in Matthew 6 verse 12, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. In Luke 11 verse 4, Luke records Jesus teaching us to pray and forgive us our sins, but then adds, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So sin clearly incurs debt. And the significance of that term debt is easily lost in our days. We live in an age when carrying debt seems to be no big deal. People live with such a sense of entitlement that they think nothing about using their credit cards to obtain what they want, even when there is no reasonable way for thinking that they will be able to pay it off. They simply spend far more than what they earn. In cases where there still is a sense of obligation in paying off debt, there might be a a sense of anxiety when the financial situation is such that the bills aren't being paid.
0: But the laws of our land always provide the option for bankruptcy. Things were entirely different in Jesus' day.
1: When we hear the term debt used in this fifth petition, and that in the plural, debts, we have to realize the significance of that term as Jesus used it. In that day, to be a debtor, and one not paying his debt, was to incur one of two penalties. For many, it involved a prison sentence. The debtor would be thrown into debtor's prison until that debt was paid. And you might ask, well, how would it be paid? Well, it would be up to the family and extended family of that debtor to put together the necessary money to free their loved one from the debtor's prison. And yes, if you were in that debtor's prison, you had better hope that you had the love of your family and that they would seek to pay the debt and get you out of that prison because otherwise you would spend the rest of your life in prison. The alternative to prison was to be sold as a slave. And so we saw in Matthew 18, verse 25, Jesus spoke of, this man who owed 10,000 talents. That was an astronomical sum of money. Unfathomable sum of money. The margin in my Bible puts it at $9.25 million. How would you like to carry that as personal debt? Another reference made it the working man's wages for 60 million days of work. You get the idea. Moreover, the parable speaks of a servant of the king. The king was one with absolute authority over his citizens. That made the debt of this servant all the more terrible. And how much more is that the case when we stand before the God of heaven and earth? So when Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debt, He would have us see the seriousness of our offenses. To be forgiven a debt was a rare act of astounding mercy on the part of the one to whom the debt was owed. It was not something to be expected. That we saw when we read that parable recorded in Matthew 18, verses 25 and following. For we read, uh, we read in verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And when the debtor pleaded with him, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That was in amazing act of compassion, entirely undeserved. So when Jesus teaches us to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it ought to be a sobering reminder to us of our desperate spiritual need before God. The spiritual attitude of the child of God is expressed in the knowledge of the need for forgiveness every day. Because the fact is, we sin every day. And the sinfulness of our natures presses from our regenerated hearts the cry for forgiveness. So the Catechism explains that prayer, laying hold of Christ by faith, explains that this prayer pleads that God not to impute, does not impute to us our transgressions, now notice, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. As regenerated children of God, we are no longer totally depraved as Scripture and our Reformed confessions define total depravity. The life of Christ reigns in us by His Holy Spirit, as we see in Romans 8, verses 9-11, through 11, for example. But we still have our sinful flesh, sometimes referred to as the old man of sin in us, which is depraved, even totally depraved. It no longer defines us. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, but that sinful flesh defiles us. It defiles everything we do. And therefore we pray for forgiveness not just for our sin, but for our the sinfulness of our nature. Those sins and that depravity that cleaves to us means that we incur a debt before God. We owe Him perfect obedience every day. And when we fail to give Him that obedience, we incur a debt. We know that. Our sins rise up against us. They hinder our enjoyment of God's fellowship. Sin and the debt that we incur erects a wall between us and God that hinders our enjoyment of his fellowship. But don't even begin to think that you can remove that debt yourself. In fact, you see that error in the pleading of that servant. In verse 26 of Matthew 18, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Oh, yes. You're going to pay that debt, right?
0: $6.25 million. 60 million days of work. Don't even begin to think
1: that you can pay the debt you have incurred before God. You might be inclined to deceive yourself and say, I have failed here but I'm doing pretty well in this part of my
0: life. And maybe this will all balance out. No, no, don't be so foolish. Your best works cannot remove that debt. As in the parable we read, that
1: servant owed a king's ransom, impossible for him to pay. You want to take that debt and speak of it in terms of the, daily, the man's daily work wage? 60 million days of work? That's 27 times longer than this world has been in existence. There is nothing that you can do to remove that debt for the sins you have committed today let alone the sinfulness of your nature. Our only hope is God's merciful forgiveness of that debt. Do you see then, beloved, that this petition is established upon the gospel? We can only pray this when we recognize the magnitude of our sinfulness the impossibility of our paying the debt that we owe God, and the wonderful truth that only God's grace in Christ Jesus can provide the remedy. Forgiveness. This petition rests upon the solid rock of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his perfect satisfaction of
0: our debt. This cry for forgiveness is surely necessary. No, this is
1: not a prayer for atonement. This petition is firmly established on the basis of Christ's atonement. It is not a prayer for atonement. That satisfaction made by Christ in his atonement has been perfectly accomplished once for all. The epistle to the Hebrews pointed to that truth as demonstrating the superiority of Jesus' priesthood over that of the Old Testament priesthood. Jesus is the fulfillment who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Hebrews 7 verse 27. On the cross, Jesus made that perfect sacrifice. He satisfied for our debt. He satisfied God's justice perfectly by shedding his own blood in perfect obedience, in perfect love, for his heavenly Father, and that in our place, in the place of all those given him by the Father. But that atonement must be applied by the Holy Spirit to my consciousness and yours. By faith, we know Jesus died for our sins in our place. We have to know that. We need to know that he died not just abstractly for the sins of the elect. Indeed, he did. But I have to know that he died for the sins that I committed yesterday and today. And I need to know that he died to cleanse me from that depravity that still cleaves to me and pollutes everything I do. And to that end, the Spirit presses from our hearts the cry, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
0: You find that so, don't you? I fear sometimes that we take sin so lightly
1: we hardly see a need to pray this. It's so easy for us to compare ourselves to others and to think, I'm certainly not as bad as so-and-so. And we hardly see a need to pray this for ourselves. Do you understand why Jesus had to tell the parable of the prayer of the publican and the Pharisee in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers,
0: or even as this publican. Oh, we would never pray that, would we? But is that the attitude that we take sometimes?
1: When we look at the world around us, or even others in the church
0: who are struggling with this or that, What is the contrast Jesus set before us?
1: And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying,
0: God be merciful to me, a sinner. Which of the two prayed in faith? Jesus told us. The Spirit pressed from, uh, presses from our hearts the cry, forgive us our debts. This petition is necessary because without it, we will never experience the forgiveness of our sins. for us for whom Jesus died,
1: and therefore for whom he has obtained the forgiveness of sins, he most certainly applies that forgiveness to our consciousness by working in us the repentance that cries out for that forgiveness
0: that is full and free. Think of this. How should we rejoice in the
1: forgiveness of sins except we see that forgiveness as ours? And how are we to see that forgiveness as ours without seeing the need for that forgiveness? Let us not forget the knowledge of the greatness of our sins and miseries is one of the three things necessary for us to know in order that we, enjoying our only comfort in life and death, may live and die happily. Lord's Day One. And that necessary knowledge of our sins and miseries is not just knowledge of sins and miseries in the past, It's the knowledge of my sins
0: and miseries whereby I incur a debt before God even daily. The person who does not pray for forgiveness
1: obviously sees no need for it for himself or herself. If I know not a need for that forgiveness, It will mean nothing to me. And I'm spiritually unable to desire it, to receive it, or to rejoice in it. I cannot possibly live in thankfulness for a forgiveness that I don't even recognize as necessary. This necessity, therefore, is not just something we view dogmatically. This is a spiritual necessity. As we experience, sin makes separation between us and our Heavenly Father. Oh, yes, we realize, as Scripture teaches, that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. But our sin brings a sense of separation between us and God. That's evident when you look at what happened when Jesus took our sins upon himself. It pressed from him the cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?
0: That's the horror of our sin. And that's our experience too. When we
1: understand the greatness of our sins before the purity of the
0: Holy God. Our creed, the Canons of Dort, speaks of that too.
1: In the fifth head of doctrine, article 5, when it talks about sin as interrupting the exercise of faith, grievously wounding our consciences and robbing us of the sense of God's favor for a time, those are consequences of our impenitent sin, sin not taken to our Heavenly Father with the cry for forgiveness. That's why we understand this petition as a spiritual necessity. I must know that blessed forgiveness. And again, I must know that forgiveness for the sins I have committed today and for the depravity of my nature that cleaves to me today. But this prayer is also necessary from the viewpoint of God's justice. We know that. This petition for forgiveness is an expression of our faith in Christ Jesus. Faith rests upon Christ alone. That's also why we can receive forgiveness only when we fall upon him in the knowledge of our need for what he alone can provide. It's only by faith resting upon Christ That God in righteousness can and does forgive us. This petition acknowledges that our forgiveness can only come in the way of God's righteousness being satisfied. It's only through Jesus Christ our Lord that this forgiveness is ours. We pray this in the true sorrow of repentance, falling upon him who shed his blood. That we might
0: have and know the forgiveness of our sins. Then you understand too forgiveness is not
1: ours because we pray for it. This forgiveness doesn't rest upon our prayers. It rests upon the perfect satisfaction of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But God gives us to know the wonder of our forgiveness only in the way of his Spirit giving us to know his perfect holiness, our contemptible sinfulness, and thus falling upon the gift of his mercy in our only Savior, Jesus
0: Christ. So we pray, forgive us our debts. That is,
1: our Father in Heaven, apply the blood of Jesus, His perfect satisfaction to all our sins and sinfulness and give us to know today that forgiveness that is ours only in Him,
0: forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That addition to this petition, forgive us our debts, presses
1: upon us the need to understand the approach
0: required in this petition. There is a reason I called attention
1: to Mark 11, verses 25 and 26, prior to reading Lord's
0: Day 51. And when ye stand praying,
1: Jesus is talking about our approach in prayer, And when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have ought against any. Why is that necessary? This prayer, after all, seeks my forgiveness. What does it have to do with forgiving others? And when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have ought against any. That, in order that, that's a purpose clause, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your
0: Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. I must warn you, do not reject the plain teaching of the Word of God. It is astounding that lately there have been those who no longer want anything to do with the plain teaching of this text. We must certainly understand what is
1: meant by this warning given us by the Lord Jesus But one thing we may not do is attempt to explain away the warning. And a warning it is. There is a particular approach required by the Holy One apart from which there is no forgiveness. Let's understand that the Lord powerfully presses this truth upon us so that we don't deceive ourselves. Let's remember, true prayer is an expression of true faith. Faith which lays hold of Jesus Christ and his tender mercies in cleansing us from all our sin. This petition, therefore... Is a petition which recognizes the magnitude of what God has done in forgiving all our iniquities. It recognizes that the parable Jesus spoke in Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35, and the forgiveness of that astounding debt incurred by one of the servants of the king is a parable that represents what God has forgiven us. But here is where it's important that we have a right understanding of the gospel. We've seen before that there's a serious misunderstanding of prayer in the broader Christian community. Prayer is often viewed as a means for getting from God. If we storm his throne enough, or with enough people, and ask for the same thing, we'll get what we want. And in harmony with that way of thinking, many would take this fifth petition as teaching that God only forgives us when we earn his forgiveness by forgiving others. That's not what this petition teaches. Jesus did not teach us to pray, forgive us our debts, because we forgive our debtors.
0: He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors.
1: The gospel is the teaching of a perfectly holy and righteous God, whose claim upon us is such that a failure to perform that claim demands a full penalty of that debt. But that gospel sets before us not only the God who has the right to demand that payment, but the God who in his grace provides that payment. That's the basis for our being reconciled to God. So the Apostle Paul preached the gospel, as do we, when he said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 and 21, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. How's that possible? For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And how is that reconciliation affected? How do we benefit from Christ's payment of that debt that we had
0: incurred? By faith. By faith, by faith which
1: lays hold of and rests upon Christ's perfect merits. By faith which recognizes that we have nothing to bring for the payment of our debt. By faith which recognizes God's great love and astounding mercy in forgiving us our debt. But that faith which lays hold of Christ, let's not forget, is a faith which fundamentally transforms us into new creatures in Christ. By our union with Christ, by faith, we're changed into forgiving people. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. You cannot know by faith the richness of God's grace toward you and remain a cold-hearted person who stubbornly refuses to forgive those who have confessed their sins. Yes, sometimes that confession of sin has to be demonstrated as true. There are instances where that is the case, evidenced even in Joseph's treatment of his brothers who had so grievously sinned against him. He needed to know that their repentance was genuine. But with that knowledge gained, Joseph could not possibly refuse to forgive them. Those who truly know forgiveness themselves will also readily forgive as God has forgiven them. And so our catechism explains the clause as we forgive our debtors by saying, Forgive us, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor.
0: When we know ourselves as we really are, debtors at the throne of grace,
1: and we see the wonder of God's forgiving love, then we understand that His forgiveness of us is
0: to be a pattern for our forgiveness of others. That's true in our home, in our marriages,
1: in our family life. That's true in the midst of the congregation and in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are sinners all. Do we receive and embrace those who have fallen and who show the penitent life of a child of God? Colossians 3 verse 13, Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. As we have seen in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's how we must understand Jesus' warning in Matthew 18 verse 35 when he points to the everlasting condemnation of the unforgiving servant and said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your
0: hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. There are many if clauses in the Bible. We must not understand them as teaching that
1: Man must do something which then binds God
0: to respond accordingly. God is never dependent upon man's action.
1: But with many of the if clauses in the Bible, they set forth what is certainly true. The if expresses the certainty of this proposition. And in the case of Matthew 18, verse 35, it affirms the reality of the warning. Which is to say, the person who does not forgive his penitent neighbor but who harbors resentment and bitterness, who is constantly referring to that past sin and holding it over the head of the neighbor to beat him with it,
0: is a person who doesn't know the forgiveness of his or her own sin. Forgiveness,
1: therefore, is a necessary evidence
0: that we have received forgiveness by faith. Those who have not tasted God's mercy cannot show mercy.
1: By faith in Jesus Christ, we have known the wonder
0: of God's forgiveness of us. So we pray, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Amen. Heavenly Father, how we need thy forgiveness.
1: Our sins rise up against us, prevailing day by day. And that depravity which cleaves to us pollutes our thoughts and often comes to expression in our words and deeds.
0: And is such a great offense to thee. Look upon us in the precious blood of Jesus,
1: our Jesus, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, and give
0: us thy peace for Jesus' sake. Amen.